With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Big Ten Championship Game post-game show. Doug Lamery, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird will be along in a moment. They're getting ready to kick Stephen and Nathan out of the press box. This is a hard deadline how this works. It's 6:30 on Saturday evening. These guys are in Indianapolis. I'm in my basement. I did eat chilies. They have to drive home. I'm in my basement already. They have to drive through the snow, through the wind, across the country. I'm in my basement, warm and toasty. So we got to get these guys out of here. They're going to get booted out of the press box. So we'll go as long as we can. And if we have to go kind of short, maybe I'll do some questions at the end. Here comes Nathan. We have like 270 questions. We have 270 questions. And all anybody really cares about is the playoff. That's part of the issue here. But the playoff is unfolding in front of us as we talk because Clemson is murdering Notre Dame. And it, I, I want to get into a little bit of like Ohio State's playoff case. But like, man, I don't know. Is Notre Dame going to make the playoff at this point? So let's talk a little football first. And let's give credit to a guy that was a discussion point on this podcast for a long time. Trey Sermon is in the stinking record books. Steven, what was it like live to watch Trey Sermon run across the turf at Lucas Oil Stadium for 330-plus yards in this one? Yeah, I think a lot of it was just, hey, Ryan, stop trying to throw the ball. The passing game is not working. Give the ball to Trey Sermon, which is not a statement I don't think anybody at the beginning of the season Heck, even before the game started, would you ever think that you'd be saying that? But it got to a point where every the, the off the passing attack was just so terrible at times, and these holes that Trey Sermon was hitting were so wide open. This offensive line did his job today, and then he did his part as a running back, getting to the second level and making guys miss. But yeah, everything that you never thought that you would say about this team, you ended up saying today. Nathan, someone asking this in a 708. I may have missed it during the game, but is Master Teague hurt or did they decide to feed the hot hand? What do we know or think we know about Master Teague? And how do you think that factored into what Trey Sermon did today? So I thought it was pretty obvious that something was not right during the game. Um, and I, you almost didn't notice it at first. He, he had those two early carries. And then uh, they went to Sermon before the end of the first possession, first drive, which is a little bit odd that they were subbing him in that early. And then he got he got to running so well that I, I didn't even really kind of notice really that, that Teague had been gone for so long. And then we saw him in the second half. He did not have his helmet. 
you can, that's always like a telltale sign to me that guys on the sideline, even if they're not playing, if they're walking around and they don't, and they're not carrying their helmet, that means their helmet's been taken from them because they can't go back in the game for some reason. Um, I won't speculate as to what the injury would be, but then Ryan Day after the game did say um, he was, how did he put it? Like uh, he, he went down, I think was what he said, went down. And then he said the doctors are going to look at him more. So we don't know exactly what's wrong there. He, he wasn't walking with a limp. He didn't have anything bandaged up that I could see, and I don't know if he went to the tent. Um, so I don't know what it is, but they, they took his helmet away. Um, in the past, we've seen that with head injuries. I'm not speculating that has happened with him, but that is often something that will happen when it's a guy that they don't want to go back in because he got dinged up. Yep, that's usually that's often how that works. That's a thing they do. If you have a head issue, they'll take your helmet away. That's just an FYI informationally. Is it yeah. too late for Trey Sermon to win the Heisman from the 5.59? <laughs> I did think, again, this is something we said in this podcast before. Just because a guy's great now doesn't mean he didn't have problems before. Ryan Day, the way he talked about it after the game, was sort of saying, like, hey, early in the year, we were kind of wondering, hey, Trey, like, he's having a little trouble hitting some holes, kind of what's going on. So all of that before was real, but all of this today was real. Because, yes, there were holes, but then he did stuff with those holes. He made the 65-yard run that sprang them out from the seven-yard line he makes a Northwestern defender miss in the backfield. Thayer Munford and Harry Miller cave in that side of the line, but then he also makes a little wiggle in the secondary to get free. He did a lot. He did do – he was not just taking the hole and then getting hit. He was breaking tackles. He was making cuts in the secondary. You know, maybe another guy would have not gotten caught from behind. I don't know that he has breakaway speed, but he got downhill fast. He didn't chop his feet behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, I, you know, it's a little weird to me that Trey Sermon like knocked Eddie George out of the record book for single game stuff. But this happens to Tim Biakapatuka. Trey Sermon is like Ohio State's Tim Biakapatuka now. So, but, you know, Steven, like he, he made a lot of yards on his own. And I just thought he looked decisive. He looked downhill and he just had a little bit of that one cut and go kind of stuff where he did do some things on his own at the second level. So interesting stat. He's had 43 carries coming into this game for 344 yards. He had 29 carries today for 331 yards. So he almost outdid his entire season. But I don't know what clicked over the past week because that that didn't just that didn't just show up today. It showed up a little bit against Michigan State, but also it's it's Michigan State. But that had to have been coming for a little bit. If you look at his actual numbers, he had been progressing. But to get to this point, yeah, I, I think. One of, part of it is Northwestern kept everybody on the outside. As we talked about before the game, they didn't want to give up any big plays, which is part of the reason the passing attack didn't play well today. But they didn't have anybody in the box. There would be five and four guys in the box at a time. Meanwhile, Ohio State's got five offensive linemen and a tight end to block behind. So now, yeah, he does get to the second level where I think that's probably where he's better than Master Teague. He just has more wiggle. So if you get him there and he actually goes to hit the hole, things like this can tend to, can happen. It just wasn't happening because that first part of him hitting the hole didn't happen. But once that clicked, we got the Trey Sermon that some people had been talking about before the season started. So this is an issue, and, and it's hard because there's stuff happening. I want to talk about the playoff case as much as we can until you guys get booted. But we have to talk about, I think, what Ohio State looks like, what it might look like if and when they get to the playoff. And I think every assumption, there's no reason to think they're not going to be in the playoff. So what are they going to do when they get there? Let's deal with a little bit of the – the nitty gritty details, Nathan, we've been texting about this. You've been texting about it. We've been asking about it. You've been asking about it. This 21 day rule that the big 10 has about if you have a positive test, you're out for 21 days. If they keep that, the guys who missed Saturday, this game, 
for a positive test will not make the semifinal. But if they change it, depending when they tested positive, if they make it more like you're out for 17 days or 18 days or 14 days or whatever, depending where in this week that you tested positive, because as we record this on Saturday, the semifinal is 13 days away. It's on Friday, January 1st. It's, it's less than two weeks. Ryan Day seemed to indicate he thinks there's some wiggle room on that. What do you think might happen with that, with your educated guests? Do you think maybe some of these positive guys could play on January 1? I would be surprised at this point if there is not some adjustment made to that rule, only because there seems to be a growing medical consensus that the original rule, while uh, well-intended at the time um, and, and maybe considered necessary under those circumstances, is maybe uh, more strict than it needs to be. Because as it stands right now, it was, we just saw this with Ohio State players. You're out basically for two weeks, and then you have to come back for a whole other week of, of, of acclimation. If you were to even shorten that first period just down to 10 days, the same 10 days that the coaches deal with, right? So you could do the 10 days, still do all the cardiac stuff. Josh Myers was talking about how it was an awful 10 days because so you couldn't even work out. You can't, you can't break a sweat. You can't elevate your heart rate. So even if you just shorten that to 10 days and then there's still another week-long acclimatization process, that still would probably – I think based on what we – based on what we know of at least some of these uh, positive tests, or we believe on some of these positive tests, that that would probably get some players back for – the January 1st game. I don't know if it would get everybody back though, because just from the names that we heard rumored throughout the week and the names that ended up on that sheet Saturday morning, I think some of them happened later in the week. So if it went down to 17, that might not be enough to get everybody back. It would be more of a situation. Like if you maybe tested positive, like Monday or Tuesday of this week, you could be back. If you were more like a Friday positive test, you probably wouldn't be back because Friday, I mean, that's, that's 14 days, right? I mean, I, I don't know that they, now the thing of this is too, the ACC and the SEC, it's either 10 or 14 days total. So, I mean, like they could also, I'm not sure, you know, it depends what they want to go on. There's medical, there's, hey, you're sort of removed from our conference now. You don't owe it to anybody else in the conference necessarily. There's still the health of the individual player, but also there's sort of like competitive balance because competitive balance has been a discussion through all of this because they're playing a competitive sport. And while the Big Ten has been more strict during the course of it, and if it's in the name of health and safety, I'm okay with being strict. I understand also wanting to do something in the name of competitive balance. Now, if you still feel like, well, it still meets the health and safety threshold, I'm, we're pretty sure they're going to do something. It's just a matter of will it take care of everybody. But I don't think – if they do nothing, basically everybody who was out for an actual positive test is wiped for the semifinal. I don't think that'll be the case. Something will occur. And, and again, I just want to reiterate too, that I think that acclimatization period is kind of important too. If they, even if they shorten it to 14 or 17, when can guys return to practice and get ready for the game too? That's important because they're not going to let anybody just be cleared to return to any activity at all, like a day before a game and then play in that game. And I don't think Ohio state wants to throw guys in, in that situation either. So then we have to talk about part of how they handled this today. And I think it's very weird. I'm going to write something for the morning. I don't know if you sort of blame Ohio State for what is kind of really kind of a lackluster performance, even though the run game was awesome and the defense took care of business. Like it wasn't dominating. They were trailing for like a lot of the game. 
but you also, or do you feel sorry for him? Because like, hey, you missed Chris Olave, you missed Baron Browning, you missed your punter. By the way, in case we forget to do it later, walk on backup Zach Hoover, who nobody knew who he was before today. Unbelievable job. Two punts inside the six. Unbelievable job. I mean, I, to walk on backup punter. If the guy shanks one for a 12-yard punt, what were you going to do? Scream at him? It's like he wasn't ready for this, and he showed up. So let's make sure we give a shout-out to that guy. So I'm caught in between sort of feeling sorry for them and sort of questioning them. But here's a question from the 412. Was this Ryan Day's worst coaching performance? He was bailed out by the unlikely hero of Trey Sermon. But we all said, Stephen, you said it right off the top. It felt like it took a while. Do you think Ryan Day – missed some things here did was he late to the run game did he do anything else wrong what did you think of ryan day's performance i think he put his quarterback in some positions that he didn't have to put his quarterback in with some obviously the interceptions are what they are but after a while when it's clear that one thing is working as well as it's not like the indiana game where the run game was just solid and justin fields was just throwing interceptions all over this was clear that we are dominating this team on the run, on the ground, and in the air, we can't do anything, and yet I'm going to keep banging my head into this wall even when we get down to the red zone. I'm still going to try to throw the ball instead of just giving this kid the ball and letting this offensive line work. And so I, I do think he was out-coached, out yes, but I think more of it was, it was just stubborn and thinking that this passing game, which has been dominant all year, is going to click at some point today, and it didn't happen. It worked it's great on that first drive, by the way. I mean, they, they went right down. It was like it was surgical. Um, and they were and they attacked in the air first and, and we were having a lot of success with that. And that seemed to set up the run. And they get in the end zone and it gets called back. And I, that sort of set a, a tone. I think that gave Northwestern a little bit of an out. They got a spark, went down and scored. And I, I, I appreciate a little bit what he was trying to do, like kind of just going aggressively, having confidence in his guys, going against the teeth of uh, the top ranked pass defense in the country but it's it's the second half of that it's like when the when the running game had proven itself to be pro really productive they seemed to still re be really hesitant to commit to it until they absolutely had to and ryan day kind of said he said we wanted to be aggressive early and kind of throw it and then in the second half you know we get the run game going which has almost been how they've handled things a lot over the last two years where it's aggressive early and then once and then you rely on your running game to bring you home. But in this situation, you almost needed to reverse that and just let the run game from the second quarter on just take over the game. So I wrote about this with some fourth down stuff with Ryan Day and Kevin Stefanski earlier this year. I think they're similar to Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach, in that they are they're offensive guys. They're quarterback guys. Ryan Day, especially. Ryan Day played quarterback. He coached quarterbacks. He loves quarterback play. He loves to throw it. I think it's his one thing. Now, he's lost one game as a head coach. So it's like, okay, well, we're going to be tread lightly a little bit with the criticism. But a lot of people were saying this. A lot of people were saying, hey, you got to ask about this. Bill Landis asked about the play calling. Why didn't he go to the run earlier right off the bat? Dan Hope from 11 Warriors followed up with it like a, hey, do you wish you would have gone to the run earlier? And then I, I had like the last question and I was debating between a third question about play calling and I didn't ask it. I ended up asking sort of like if, if the committee is trying to evaluate you, what would you say about anyone trying to evaluate you? And he like went on this long speech about it, which was a decent speech. I would have been curious if I would have pressed him on it if he would have gotten mad. Because I think there are a couple places where it was like an absolute borderline indefensible. And it's his tendency at the moment, at least the way he talks about it, he acts like aggressive equals better in every circumstance. And that's aggressive is not the same as good. Now, there's a lot of coaches who 
ruin their teams, ruin game plans, ruin their careers by being playing scared. And so you'd rather have aggressive than the alternative. But when we've gotten questions about them not putting teams away in games and people have said, has he, has he gotten too conservative? I've said he's not gotten conservative enough. It's too often late in the game. They're still throwing when they should be pounding people, right? And putting the game away. This was the particularly egregious thing that I would have particularly asked him about. And I don't know if I should have or not. I, don't, I was 50-50. Maybe I should have. The 65-yard Trey Sermon run. It's the lead of the story I'm writing right now. 65-yard Trey Sermon run. They get down like the 30-yard line. Next play, they run Justin Fields. He gets eight. It's second and two. If they would have handed the ball to Trey Sermon 10 times, it's second and two from the 28. Hand it to him 10 times. Hand it to him seven times and say, get four yards a carry for seven carries. We got to go 28 yards. There's, I mean, there's no doubt he would have gotten it. If they just would have handled it to the tailback or done zone read on 10 straight plays, there's no doubt they would have scored a touchdown. They were not going to stop them. Instead, on second and two, they call a throw to the end zone for Garrett Wilson, incomplete. On third and two, they're futzing around with the play call, and they get a delay a game, which is indefensible. Now it's third and seven, and they throw it, and he ends up trying to check it down to Trey Sermon, and it gets swatted up the line, and they kick a field goal and miss it. And they're still losing at this point. That keeps it 10-6 in the middle of the third quarter. Now, the next drive is the seven plays, seven runs, touchdown drive. So he got to it. He did get to it. But that second and two, and you throw it in the end zone to Garrett Wilson, that's, I want to do this, rather than doing the thing your offense needs to do. That's a guy who loves to throw it, who loves his quarterback, who loves Garrett Wilson, not understand, Not I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't understand it, not giving in to the situation. He gives in to what feels right. And it doesn't matter if the throw was good or if he should have caught it or if the cup, you didn't complete it. You weren't going to get stopped on second and two if you run it. You were not going to get stopped. So part of it's like, well, you have this run game in your back pocket. So what are you guys freaking out about? They eventually went to it and it was fine. But they put by going to it so late. And also, by the way, they come out right after halftime. 12-yard Trey Sermon run, 13-yard Trey Sermon run, pick. And it's like, what are you doing? And they threw a play. They threw a Chris Olave route when Chris Olave is not here. And Jamison Williams cut that route up, and Garrett Wilson threw it out. And it's a miscommunication. It's not just like a bad throw by Justin Fields. It's a miscommunication with a receiver that you never throw to, who all of a sudden is being targeted there because your guy is out. They didn't adjust. Why? 12 yards, 13 yards, pick, indefensible. Those two calls, indefensible to me. They get bailed out in the end. They finally get to it. But, guys, they left themselves in a situation where they were dominating at the end. But if a snap goes over somebody's head, if they if they bust a coverage on defense and Northwestern throws an 80-yard bomb, if Trey Sermon gets hit and fumbles – I thought they put themselves by getting to it so late. They put themselves in the situation where one disastrous mistake might have cost them the game. It was too close for comfort. And Nathan, it's because he didn't get to it soon enough. If Justin Fields hadn't hurt his thumb, does Ohio State win this game? I mean, because you could. So Justin Fields and, and, and do we talk about it yet? We didn't actually talk. I don't about know. It. I got okay. here late. No, no, I we mean, didn't I talk about it. We got here. I, I snuck in after the uh, so, opening 
ceremonies. So I found the play. Nathan wrote about it. I found the play, double-checking here at home in my basement. It's the second and 11 run in the red zone. Justin Fields scrambles. It was actually dropped back to pass first, and then he ran because it was a scramble. He gets hit as he goes to the sideline. Momentum takes him out of bounds. And the chain gang member is standing on the sideline, sees Justin Fields coming. I don't know what the protocol is and what they're taught. They must be taught this. The person is holding the big, tall, orange first down marker, like from the commercials, right? From the insurance commercials, those funny guys. (laughs) The chain gang's real funny, right? Until it murders your quarterback. (laughs) The person is standing there. Justin Fields gets goes out of bounds. The person drops it flat on the ground, basically at Justin Fields' feet. And he trips over the marker. And then when he puts his right hand down to brace himself as he's falling, that's when he hurts his thumb. And you see him flexing his right thumb immediately. The next throw, he drops back, is pressured, ends up checking it down to Trey Sermon for a negligible gain. They kick, kick, gain, they kick a field goal. Next time they take the field four minutes later, he's got a brace on his thumb. So I think, Nathan, you might be right, but, but it's just it's too late. Steven, like, I don't think it's if, – if Ryan Day was on this podcast saying, well, this was what I was thinking here – I'm not sure it's an opinion here, Stephen. I think you would, you, any of us would win the argument of, okay, Ryan, maybe that's what you were thinking, but it was incorrect for the situation. Do you agree with that, Stephen? I do, and I'll add another play to that. I think they're in the red zone, and they love play action in the red zone. They do it often, and this is after Trey Sermon had been working and been working and gotten him down to the red zone, and they call it a play action, which usually works, and they'll bring somebody on to the other side because they'll have they'll play action to the far side of the field, and it's usually worked, and it, uh, a touchdown and Justin Fields running it in. But for some reason, because Northwestern probably knows this is coming, they scheme it up well, and so they keep Julian Fleming backside, and they throw it back to Julian Fleming, but Northwestern also also sniffs that out, and it's almost a pick, but it ends up just being a, a pass breakup. So, yeah, they kept doing things where – even when they were running the ball well, it was so they could set up a pass instead of just relying on the run. And then, but they, and then they never ended up setting anything up. They never yeah. hit anything. But if they yeah. would have gone to it earlier, as this, this uh, texter says, from the 409, how much of the original game plan would have been available if Day would have, could have swallowed his pride earlier and leaned on the ground game sooner in this game? Have to think the downfield stuff becomes more open if they ran the ball in the first half. I think that's right, too. It's like you run enough that then you think that opens up something deep, but they never really had a chance to try anything. You know, they Garrett Wilson drew, drew a, a pass interference on a ball down the sideline that eh, they actually kind of decent coverage on. The other thing is, by the way, as good as Northwestern did and shut down the pass, the guy who I was all obsessed with, jo- uh, not Jonathan Newsom, what's his name? Greg Newsom, Jonathan Newsom, former Buckeye from Glenville. Greg Newsom, the all big 10 first team corner, like didn't play. He got knocked out early with an injury. So like Northwestern shut down. It's like, okay, well, Ohio State didn't have Chris Olave. Well, Northwestern didn't have the guy who would have covered Chris Olave. So, and then by the way, this was a decent mix of Northwestern has a good game plan. Brandon Joseph, that pick in the end zone. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. the. I think maybe the only other defensive back in the Big Ten that makes that one-handed interception against Garrett Wilson is Sean Wade. I'm not sure anybody else in the Big Ten makes that play. So they actually have some guys, as we were saying, this is not just a scheme. They had some dudes. They did have some dudes. And I thought that was important. Steven, we were talking about this, about this before the game, the first drive, no targets for Garrett Wilson. They went to uh, uh, Julian, Julian Fleming, Fleming four or five times. Then they come out and target Garrett Wilson right away on the next drive. It did feel like I thought the touchdown pass that was picked by Joseph felt a little forced to me. Did you feel like, 
It's like Wilson was taken away early and then they were trying to go to him, but I thought they were forcing it to him at one point. I think every deep shot they took to Garrett Wilson was forced today because whether obviously, yes, in most of these situations, one-on-one, I'll take Garrett Wilson. But after a while, when it's not working, first of all, that first series, it seemed like they were trying to get Julian Fleming comfortable. Um, They also did it against Michigan State where they ran some stuff for him and Jackson Smith and Jigba that they hadn't run all season just because they knew at some point they were going to have to rely on those guys. So getting Julian Fleming involved early seemed purposeful. But then after that, yeah, you try to force it to the guy that you're going to have to rely on in this game. And, yes, most times you take the one-on-one chance with Garrett Wilson. But after a while, when you see it's not working today, you have to kind kind of go away from that. And I think, yeah, every time they sent Garrett Wilson deep, Justin Fields said, I trust my guy and just threw it up. And it either ended up in a pass breakup, one time in a pass interference, and then that great interception. Uh, they might be kicking you guys out. We're going to take a quick break on Buckeye Talk. We'll see if Steven and Nathan are still here when we get back. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Baird, are they booting you? They booting you, Baird? I see Baird is standing up. He's motioning to, to people. He, he's asking for silence. He's asking for for five more minutes. It's like, mom, five more minutes. Sorry. I, I, they have this. You can't see fully through the window. And I'm trying to see if I can see the top of Joey Kaufman's head because that means he's still in there, which means we can still be here. But I've texted him. We've asked for the help of our, our, our brethren from the dispatch <laughs> to let us know if we have to leave. So hopefully he'll let us know. Who's? Oh, he's saying they told him seven, which is three minutes away. Whose first day on the job did we get locked in the stadium? Was that Steven's first so, day or Nathan's first me. day? Nathan's first day. It was me. Yeah. yeah. So my only advice is try not to get, <laughs> try not to get locked in the stadium. Um, I well, this get- is a good stadium to get locked in, actually, because I think they, there's people here later. They got to set up for an NFL game tomorrow. They weren't doing that at Ohio Stadium last year after the after the uh, whatever. Whoever, who did they play? By the way, Wisconsin. Yeah. But now listen. By no, the no, way, no, 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 no. The first game. The first game. For Atlantic. The game where we got Florida Atlantic, thank oh, you. Oh, 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 no. I the game where we got locked in. Championship. Well, we got, yeah. Oh. yeah. No, I know they no, played. I, I mean, everybody, by the way, is like, oh, look, the Big Ten screwed up again. They have Colts on the field. There's an NFL game tomorrow. I don't know what you're supposed to do. It's like they didn't yeah. plan this. When they plan, the Colts are away the first weekend in December, usually, because or they're playing a night game or something, because the Big Ten Championship game is here. The Colts have a game tomorrow. Everybody relax about, like, the Big Ten screwing up because it says Colts in the end zone. Yeah, this actually wasn't that weird for me because I've covered a bunch of high school state championship games here, and that's how it is for the high school state championships. So it's not that big of a deal. But they were booing Kevin Warren before the game. When I was down there on the field, he, when he first the walked game. after the game. Yes, but when he first walked out on the field, there were some Ohio State parents booing him. I'm not going to say who, but I heard you guys. But you'll text who? I will. <laughs> I will text all names. Six one four three five zero three three one five to get I, the IDs on which Ohio State parents booed Kevin Warren. <laughs> So there's two things that I, I want to get to, hopefully, before you guys get kicked out. I'll go as fast as I can. The two, bet, the two biggest games of the year. So I don't know if I'm supposed to divulge this. The All-American committee that I'm on decided that they were going to wait until after championship weekend to make the final call on the quarterbacks. Justin Fields does not make it an All-American team. And Justin Fields, I don't think, is a Heisman finalist. I don't know what's happening with everybody else exactly, yeah. but if it's Devontae Smith, Trevor Lawrence, and – Kyle Trask or Zach Wilson or whatever, this, this does not do it. Whatever it was, 114 yards. But that's neither here nor there because he's not going to win it. I feel bad for him. We all picked him to win it before the season. It's not going to happen. But what did this tell us? Because he didn't hurt his thumb until early in the fourth quarter. He did say after the game, he was honest about, I did hurt my thumb. It was killing me. It stiffened up. I think it's a sprain. Might get an x-ray. I, if anybody's worried about that long-term, I would not be worried about that long-term until 
we're told we have some reason to worry about it. Guys sprain their thing, thumbs, it's no big deal. It is his throwing hand. It was weird, but I don't think it's a long-term issue for a game 13 days from now. But Nathan, not great. I mean, like, not great. Like, Chris Olave didn't play, but, you know, I mean, not everybody has two All-American receivers. And Northwestern's defense, I, I do think if you didn't respect Northwestern's defense coming in, I think that was a misfire by anybody who thought that they are, they are quite competent and they have some guys, but that was not a good game. Justin Fields throwing the ball. I I think the fact that Northwestern was already ranked number 14 and the fact that their defense, I think stood up to that ranking, I think actually kind of helps Ohio state in this decision that'll happen Sunday morning. But um, two things on, on the injury side of things, I think it is maybe something people shouldn't worry about too much, except for the fact that they just haven't been playing. And now this is, if it keeps them out of practice for, a time that's even more time where it seems like they are just not in sync right now with the passing game. And I, that could be an issue. Um, but um, I'm sorry. What was the other part of the question? In terms of like, Justin did look great. Like, Justin no, 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 did. he didn't. And, 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 and I thought that and it, as much as Ryan day, um, we, we, we pointed out the play calling at times, there were definitely times where Justin was forcing the ball. I thought to, to Garrett Wilson, I thought he did it on the interception because um, uh, he was targeting Wilson on that play. I thought there were some other plays where he was trying too hard to get the ball to Wilson specifically. And Steven kind of pointed this out, just talking about um, Fields' reads and how there is some criticism out there about the way that he kind of goes through his progressions or, or I guess more to the point, doesn't go through his progressions sometimes. And I thought we saw that a few times today. And then he did hold the ball a little bit. And it's, again, yeah. the, the push and pull. I mean, he had a play where he held the ball and got sacked, and then he had a play like the next play he held the ball and then eventually escaped and ran. But he had won. One of the sacks early was like a particularly egregious example, I thought, of holding the ball. And and I, I've i always been sort of in favor of him holding the ball, but like against a really good defense like this, maybe you have to suck it up and get rid of it. Steven, I still think he struggles at times with that decision of – get rid of it or not, and he ends up taking some negative plays that he doesn't maybe have to take. I think Ryan Day needs to unleash him too. I think there were some times in the red zone where he was holding on to it, and I'm going, why are you not taking off? Go use your legs. It's always working. He did that against Michigan State when Ryan Day wasn't there, and you compared it to when, you know, your principal's not there, and so, like, it's all hell can, all hell can break roots because the teacher's not in the classroom, so you can do what you want, and he did what he wanted, and he looked amazing. Ryan Day comes back on the sideline, and we've, we've talked about it. There's clearly been a message sent that we don't want you running. But this is the Big Ten championship game, and now we're in playoff mode. If that kid feels like he needs to take off and run, and it's going to get you 40 yards, let him do it. I don't think he always feels comfortable doing that when Ryan Day is on the sideline. I don't want to blame Ryan Day for that, but that I feel like that does have – he's also learning when to stay in the pocket and when to run, along with learning how to go through progressions. For him going through progressions in high school and really coming up into being as a five-star guy was, if my first guy's not there, I'm taking off. And that should be his mindset going forward into, unless Chris Olave plays. But right now, because it's not, he is kind of holding the ball, praying Garrett Wilson gets open. Uh, I did get – a message from somebody. I can't find it because again, we have more than 250 questions. Someone said, is there any, the fact that Justin has seen, had some issues in the Indiana game to some degree. And then in this game, does that say anything about Corey Dennis and his coaching of Justin Fields this year to which I said, how dare you, how dare you, sir or ma'am question Corey Dennis. How dare you, how dare you let me get to this question how dare you this is the this is the whole question so here's the deal we don't have to go super crazy long now 
because it is 7 p.m. on Saturday night and the college football playoff rankings are coming out like at noon on Sunday. And as soon as we write our stories off that, we're going to have another podcast. So get ready for a post-playoff rankings podcast on Sunday afternoon where we will cover a lot more of this stuff because we know Justin Hilliard played great. The backup punter played great. Trey Sermon played great. But we're kind of onto the playoff. Doug, I'm going to ask again. This is Drew in the 614. Do you honestly think this team can win the national championship? Nathan is packing up his bag. Nathan, do you think, based on how they played today, does that look like a team that can actually win it? This does not look like a team that can beat Alabama. Steven, do you think they can win it? Uh, they don't look like it right now, but I do have confidence that the worst part of this team today was the part that's been the most explosive. And I don't, I can, think, I think I'll bet that that won't happen again. So, but no, right now they don't look like they can beat Alabama, but nobody looks like they can beat Alabama. I, I think they could beat Clemson because I think Clemson leans a little bit on some special things and is not a special across the board. This is the thing I was thinking. It's the thing we went back to that Ryan Day said before the year. He thought this was a once in a lifetime team. And, and I was like, well, this is not a once in a lifetime team. The level of talent, he's talking about character. He basically made a case for Ohio State make the, to make the playoff because they have high character. And I know he feels that about his team, but you know, everybody's had a hard time dealing with this. I did actually think Ryan Day, in a way, made a point that missing games in its own weird way might be as difficult as playing games and that it almost would have been easier for them to just play Maryland, Illinois, and Michigan and just play and be normal than what they've done. And I, and I actually think there is something to that, right? And that I don't think just because they look bad today that they would have lost to Maryland because, again, I think a lot of the credit here goes to Northwestern. But – They've got to be better, and I just, I just don't know. I don't know. They are special to me at quarterback and the two receivers, and the rest of them, they're good. The rest of it, they're good. The, lot, the defense today was good. Northwestern has nothing offensively. Peyton Ramsey made a couple third-down throws. They don't do anything that scares you. So, I mean, the idea of how much scarier Clemson and Alabama's offense is, I mean, it's, it can't even measure against Northwestern. Northwestern's defense is quite solid, though. That was a good defense, and Ohio State had a lot of trouble with it. So they ran like crazy at the end. They only put up 22, though. 22 is not going to get you very far in the playoff against that Alabama offense and that Clemson offense. So I think there are a lot of legitimate questions about this team. I don't think, it, I don't think anything's disastrous, but I think they might be a really solid team that when they have their two best receivers and their quarterback coming, their passing game is real special, and I'm not sure a lot of the rest of it is special. Maybe the defensive tackles are. All right, do you guys legitimately are getting booted? Yeah, we got to get going. Yep. Okay. I'll take a quick break. I'll come back on the other side of this and, and wrap this up again. Big uh, podcast on Sunday after the playoff announcements. Thanks to Nathan and Steven for their hard work in Indy. Drive safe, guys. See you. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan and Steven are gone. They're headed home. We'll wrap this up. This team, and we're, we're going to deal with this on Sunday a lot more. We're going to have 13 days to deal with this because they're in the playoff. The, the way that Notre Dame lost to Clemson has now made the discussion between Texas A&M for Notre Dame at the fourth spot. It is no longer an Ohio State-Texas A&M discussion, if there ever was a discussion. Um, so they're in. Ohio State's in. I, I thought in everything that, that we anticipated beforehand, thinking Clemson would beat Notre Dame, that the committee just wasn't going to play Notre Dame and Clemson again as third time in a semifinal. So that's why I always thought Ohio State would be the three. Not that necessarily... They should be ahead of Notre Dame, but it would have been a little monkey in a round. But I do think maybe Ohio State was sort of the fourth team in, but they would have made them the third seed. But now Ohio State is actually the third team in. I mean, they legitimately are. They're the three seed, legitimately. 
because Notre Dame didn't compete with Clemson. So that discussion, we don't have to worry about it too much. And Ryan Day's whole speech, I'll still write it, but it's not really, there's not a point to it because Ohio State's in. The point is, can Ohio State compete? And a couple numbers I don't love from this game. Northwestern 7 of 16 on third down. I thought Peyton Ramsey made some third down throws against some soft coverage that was just there. And I thought Ohio State had trouble on third down. Some people said I read this wrong, but I thought an early one of the early third down throws to Garrett Wilson, I think it was third and 11, they threw it like five yards short of the sticks, and Wilson caught it and got hit and dropped it. So it was incomplete. But even if he catches it, he's got to turn up field and try to do something. They threw it short of the sticks. And I know the corner was on Fleming, the outside receiver, and came up and made a nice play. He came off Fleming and made the play. Maybe Justin has an option there. He does. He throw to Fleming, who's past the sticks. But... It just was like, this is this dynamic passing offense. And, you know, maybe Garrett Wilson can shake a tackle or if he doesn't expect that defender to be there. Bottom line is they threw it five yards short of the sticks on third down. And then the defense was there so quickly that they jarred it loose and it was an incompletion. And this is Ohio State. Like, I just, I didn't, I didn't love seven of 16 on third down for Northwestern, four of 11 on third down for Ohio State, four of 11. Didn't love that. Um, Dominated. Obviously, in the run game, which matters, 442 on the ground for Ohio State, 149 on the ground for Northwestern. 114 passing yards is just amazing. 224 for Northwestern. I do think the second half offensively for Northwestern is interception, punt, missed field goals, interception, fumble, punt, and then lose it on downs. Defense plays well. Ohio State's defense plays well in the second half, but Northwestern just doesn't scare you on offense. I mean, that's, again, so Ohio State's got to be a lot better. They've got to be a lot better if they're going to compete in the playoff. Do I think they can hang with Clemson? Yes. Are we going to spend two weeks dissecting it every way imaginable? Yes. Will they have a little bit of intel that they'll use? Yes. Is this what Justin Fields and every Buckeye has wanted? Yes. But they weren't special in a lot of ways. They were fine. And the offensive line was special. So I think Ryan Day's got to figure this out a little bit within himself. Of If Clemson does something to shut down the pass game in the semifinal whether Chris Olave is or, playing or not, what's your next move? He's got to anticipate that next move and be ready to go to it. Because if you wait to get to the run game against Clemson, it might be over. So I think he has to sit with himself a little bit and figure that out. And I just wonder, I mean, again, this Ohio State defense, what Michael Penix did to it, man, Trevor Lawrence is going to do that times three if they get close but don't get home. They've got to find a way to get home against Trevor Lawrence. They've got to blitz. They've got to do something to get pressure on this guy, but we have two weeks to do that. Your Ohio State Buckeyes are going to be in the college football playoff again. That's pretty cool. It's a pretty crazy year. Um, Everybody stay safe. Everybody be appreciative of the fact that Ohio State has won four straight Big Ten titles. The only times that teams have won more is uh, Ohio State won six in a row, although the sixth won the 2010 title was knocked out by NCAA sanctions, so it's not in the record books, but they won six in a row with Trestle. They won five in a row with Woody, before that, I think Michigan won five in a row. I wrote this today. And then Michigan, like in the in the tens and in the thirties, won four in a row a couple times. So I mean it's nothing to sneeze at to win four straight Big Ten titles. That's a pretty a pretty huge accomplishment. It's nothing to sneeze at to get in the playoff because all you want is your chance. And just imagine if this had gone the other way for the Buckeyes and, and Ohio State had gone through all this and then didn't get a chance. They're gonna get a shot at Clemson. They're gonna get their shot at Clemson, which since that game ended, that's all they've wanted. And you just hope that Chris Olave has a chance to take his shot against Clemson. We'll be back on Sunday to break down everything about the playoff. 
we got a bunch of podcasts planned for you next week. Thanks to you guys for hanging in with us. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts. For Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. Ohio State wins its fourth straight Big Ten title, 22-10 over the Northwestern Wildcats. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.